Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. everybody. Everyone doing well this morning? Come on. I love seeing all the babies. get. I thought half the congregation was going to just get up and get on this stage. I felt it start to bow a little bit. I was like, like, all right, let's just get more up here. I love it. You know what's cool though? That's revival. Like that when parents are saying that we're going to dedicate our lives to, to raising our kids in the way they should go, that's that's revival. God is moving in our church, and uh, we're in this fun series we've been in for the last several weeks called Holy Habits, where we're talking about mastering the habits that if we don't master, right, some habits can end up mastering us, unhealthy habits, and so unholy habits. So what we're trying to do in this series is look at the holy habit the early church had, these rhythms, these patterns, these routines that the early church had uh, that, that really strengthened and pushed their faith Forward, And so we've looked at a number of habits, and last week my wife uh, preached, and she spoke on the, the holy habit of daily devotion and getting in the Word of God. Come on, wasn't that good? The practical tips. I, I, I love my wife. She's my favorite preacher. And, um, yeah, she did such a great job. And this week we're going to keep going through this series. We've got a couple more weeks left. And this week I want to talk to you about the holy habit of hospitality. The holy habit of hospitality. And I'm excited because, you know, a lot of times when we think of hospitality, maybe when I say that, some of you, you go to like the hotel industry, right? You're like thinking of like uh, the Ritz-Carlton or, or your favorite uh, resort in Mexico. Anyone like going to like Cancun, places like that? All right, let's go. And, uh, you know, you think of hospitality like that. Maybe for you, you think of hospitality like it's like your favorite uh, restaurant, right? Where they just, they, they wait on you hand and foot. It's your favorite, your favorite steakhouse, something like that. And, and my hope is that, you know, you wouldn't just think of those places of hospitality by the end of this message. My hope is that by the end of this message, that you would first, when you hear the word hospitality, think of your home, your neighbors, and your neighborhood. That, that's, I'm just going to lay my cards out. That's what we're doing today. My hope is that by the end of this day, you think of hospitality, you think of your home, your neighbors, in your neighborhood. So Luke chapter 5, 31 through 32, it says this, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So let's just think about this for a moment. If Jesus is basically saying we are called to be a hospital for the sick, if we're going to be a hospital, we need to first be hospitable, hospitable. And so that's why we're going to talk about hospitality today. So we're going to talk about this holy habit of hospitality. But if I had a subtitle for this message, the subtitle would be this, God never gets the address wrong. God never gets the address wrong. So I'm going to give you some background. We're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 4. So open your Bibles, our primary text for the day, our key text, First Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 7 through 11, okay, like the big gulp, 711. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna be diving into first Peter, and I'm gonna give you a little context. So first Peter chapter four, verses seven through eleven. It, first Peter, just so you know, was written in about uh, 62 to 64 AD, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, it was basically just a letter to Gentile Christians dealing with a lot of persecution in places like Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia, and basically what we now know as modern-day Turkey. Uh, these Gentile Christians, these Gentile believers, were really having a, a difficult time time with persecution. And these people, uh, they had earlier been involved in idolatry. It says in chapter four that they were, they were ignorant in chapter one. They were empty before they came to Christ. They were formerly not a people, but now they were 
God's people. And so the goal of this letter was to encourage and guide these believers, reminding them, hey, stay the course. Stay faithful even when times get tough. It was basically Peter saying, hey, this place that we live right now, this is not our home. You are foreigners. You are temporary residents of this place. This is not our home. But that doesn't mean that we just get to forget about how we live. No, no, we need to live lives that are distinctly different from those around us. And so he's saying, hey, stay the course and keep your eyes on the prize. So that's just a little context for you as we dive in today. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, it says this. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Okay, let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our church and our lives. We thank you for all the children that were dedicated today. Be with them always. Walk with them and guide them. God, I pray that whatever today is of me would fall away. Whatever is born of your Holy Spirit, would it stick in our hearts, our minds? Would it resonate inside our soul? God, would it change us from the inside out? It is an honor, God, to worship you. In Jesus' name. If you love God, you say amen. You know, I love verse 9 in this particular text because it says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this is a challenge for some of us to offer hospitality without grumbling because for some of us, we'd rather step on Legos in the middle of the night than have people to our house. Okay? You're like, I, I, I don't want to do that. And we all have different reasons why. For some of us, like cooking a meal and having to entertain people, it doesn't sound rewarding. It sounds like a very severe punishment for us. And we're sitting here going, man, this doesn't sound like something fun. This sounds like something that has to be endured rather than enjoyed. But we all make excuses. We all make all kinds of excuses. For some of us, we, we say things like this. Well, I'm an introvert. And so, you know, I just... It's not really my thing, and so maybe just, you know, God didn't really make me to be hospitable. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. First Peter, interesting. You know, but it's, it's funny the excuses we make. Some people say, well, I just really prefer to have my own space, and I need, I, need, I need just a place where people, it's my home, it's my sanctuary, like people, no, you don't want to let people in here. Maybe it's a, man, I just don't want to clean. Moms, it's okay, you can say Amen. All right, like you just may not want to clean. You just don't want to have people over to see your crazy, messy house and the laundry all over the floor. I get it. I get it. And maybe you're like, man, your excuse is my kids are crazy. Like you can come over. You may not leave. These kids are insane. Okay, like, you know, maybe it's that or maybe it's, I mean, I just, yeah, I just, I don't want to have to cook. Whatever it is, like I want to just go out. I like to go out to eat. I don't like to be in. But the list goes on and on. But for many of us, we love to experience the benefits of hospitality but we really don't like to offer it. We like when we're waited on hand and foot, but man, if we have to be the ones serving people, it's a little bit more difficult for us. Listen, if I'm looking at this text, if I were to kind of break this down, I believe this, that the greatest enemy of our ability to step into the holy habit of hospitality is our unholy habit of selfishness. 
I think our selfishness is the greatest enemy to hospitality because it's very difficult to be generous toward other people when we're constantly seeking to be stingy for ourselves, when we try to hoard, when we try to keep more than we need, even when others around us have lack, even when others around us could use a dinner, could use a night out, could use a break. So Peter, in this letter, I love this because he cuts right to the heart of the issue when he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. So how are you a faithful steward of God's grace? By serving others and by offering hospitality without grumbling. That is how you're a faithful steward of God's grace. And this is a huge part of our faith, believe it or not. Now, you might think that hospitality, this is just like, oh, this is just like, oh, out of all the habits, this is just kind of like an off kind of side one. He needed to fill another week, so we're talking about hospitality. No, no, can I just tell you something? This is very important in our faith. In fact, Jesus commands us to live out this habit of hospitality. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, it says this. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to this debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well, and so he's listening to this. So he asked, of all the commandments... Which is the most important? That's quite the question. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, what's interesting is in another gospel, Jesus will add that all the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor, to love God and to love people, to put it simply. And so if all the law, if all the prophets, if the entire Old Testament, if we were to begin to sum it up, and what is it trying to tell us to do? It's trying to tell us to love God and to love people. That's, that's the basic. We were to just break it down. And Jesus goes on to teach some radical things, some radical acts of hospitality that would blow our minds. Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 42, you've heard that the law says that the punishment must match the injury. And do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat to them too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles and give to those who ask of you and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, 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 just to give you a little bit of context, we could go deep into this, but let me just say this on that last one about carrying the soldier's gear. A Roman soldier had the, the right to, to compel, to command a Jew to carry their things to carry their gear, and to go with them for a mile. Now, this was a degrading, humiliating thing that they would command and make somebody do. And Jesus is telling him, hey, if a soldier compels you to carry his gear for a mile, go too. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn on the other one, offer it to him too. Someone takes your shirt, give him, give him your coat. Your enemies, your, the people that abuse you, the people that hurt you. Jesus is telling you to be hospitable to them. This kind of radical hospitality, what is he saying? He's telling them this. Why? Because we're called to look different. Why would this Jew who only has to carry it a mile carry it too? Because this Jew has encountered Jesus. He's no longer just a Jew. He's a Christian. 
So here, let me just say this. Jesus, again and again, would highlight hospitality in a number of, of different ways. We see even the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Talk about hospitality. Puts him up, says, hey, whatever he owes at the end, I'll come back. If it goes over, his tab goes over, I'll come pay it. Hospitality was something Jesus highlighted for us again and again and again, this idea of radical hospitality. But why would Jesus make such a big deal out of something like this? Like, what does this habit of hospitality even do? Well, I'm glad that you asked. It initiates a process. It initiates a process. And the process is this, of going from stranger to neighbor to family. From stranger to neighbor to family. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to write that down. From stranger to neighbor to family. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the very first verse we read says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. You know, a lot of times people, they'll read verses like this, or, you know, they'll pull something out of Revelation. They'll be like, you know, the end is near, so let's just hunker down, let's get a place in Payette, okay? We'll build a fortress out there, tons of ammo, burying the ground so the government doesn't see, right? You know, like, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, let's hunker down, and let's just wait until Jesus comes back. We got our ticket to heaven. I'm saved. I raise my hand. I read my Bible. I do the things. I follow Jesus. I'm going to heaven. So let's just hunker down until he comes back. But what's interesting to me, this is how many Christians choose to live. They're like, well, yeah, this is the approach. It's just like, you know, ah. But can I just tell you something? This is, this is the wrong approach. This is not what First Peter is telling us to do. He's saying, hey, the end is near, so be alert, so pray, so serve, so be hospitable, live lives that are distinctly different from people around you, so why? So the people are attracted to your life. So the strangers in your world see your life, see you living differently and say, what is different about you? So that all of a sudden, when we're a blessing to others, and we offer hospitality without grumbling, and we open our homes, and we open our lives, and we serve people, instead of hunkering down and locking the door, we open our door to anyone and everyone and say, come in and eat with us. Let us share with you the greatest news that's ever been shared. It's powerful. You see, hospitality as a Christian, friends, this doesn't mean just being hospitable to those who share your personal beliefs. Those who have the same uh, churches. Like, is this, hospitality is not like, man, you, you host a small group. You're the most hospitable person on earth. That's, that's great. I love that you open your home for a small group, but it's so much more than, than having a small group. Hospitality is a way of living. It's the generous reception of strangers, of of. People, guests, people, and entertaining them and bringing them in and caring for them and, and offering things generously to them to serve them, to bless them. But Jesus, in, in his entire ministry, it was all about approaching strangers. Jesus would just walk up people, follow me. What? Yeah, yeah. Hey, put that net down. Follow me. That is, this is what Jesus did. Like, he, he just would walk up to strangers. He would talk to people, to, that, even people that didn't love him back. But, but most of them didn't stay strangers long, did they? They didn't stay strangers long. Jesus had the ability to make even the most far-off people feel like they were brought near. The people that society would say that, ah, we forgot about. Jesus brought those people near. And we're going to share a story towards the end of the message 
of Jesus doing exactly that. But Jesus invited the lost. He included the stranger. He opened his, lives, uh, his life to the hurting. He showed them a kind of hospitality and generosity that these people had never, ever experienced. And, and my question is, what if we did the same? What if we lived our lives in a way that we would reach out to the strangers around us that live near us in our neighborhoods? And what if that process would take them from strangers that live near us to neighbors that are a part of our lives? What if we were intentional with this habit? I believe that if we were intentional with this habit, we would watch the people around us shift from strangers that live near us truly to real neighbors. And so this is kind of the first section of the message here. Just, you could just part neighbor after, or I guess it's the second section. Neighbor, neighbor. And let me give you some context of just how to be a neighbor because I think uh, sometimes we forget how simple it really is. But like, let's just say you're out mowing the lawn on a Saturday, say this weekend, right? It was hot this weekend, it's 90, okay? So you're out mowing the lawn, you're dripping in sweat, you know it's hot because the little beads come down your nose, right? And you're out there and you're like huffing and puffing, trying to make sure your lawn's better than the guy across the street, right? He's got the perfect PGA lines back and forth. You're like, I'm gonna get, who's been fertilizing, gentlemen? You've been, man, you've been fertilizing your lawn. Ladies, anyone is like a lady, you work in the yard, right? And uh, I, I'm not that guy, okay? I bought the house that they mow your lawn for you because I hate mowing the lawn that much. I literally was like, what neighborhoods can I just pay the HOA a little bit so they can do this, right? I, I really don't like it. But, but it, it's just picture that you're out mowing your lawn and you're, you're tired. You've been out there for almost a half hour or you're finally finishing up the yard and you're sweating. You're ready to go inside, sit down, hang out, right? Like, you know, come on, Southern hospitality. Like, mama, get me some sweet tea. Like, right, you know, something like that. You know, ask your wife to make you pie. I don't know. <laughs> Just like, but you're like sitting there going, I can't wait to get inside, take a break. And, and so you're mowing the lawn, but you notice your neighbor's hasn't been mowed yet. It's getting a little long. Just keep going. Just keep going. Take an extra 20 minutes, mow their lawn, blow it off, sweep it off, make sure it looks nice, edge that sidewalk for them. And it's amazing how simple things like that. Like, think about this. My, my wife, she does this, and I love it. It's one of my favorite things. She's making cookies, right? And it's like, man, when you're making cookies, make a double batch. Wrap some cookies up in some plastic, put a little bow on it. Get your kids in a little cart and hit a couple houses near you. Just drop off some cookies, maybe a little note. Just say, hey, we love you guys. Just wanted you to know we're here. You know what that signals? It signals our door is open to you. Our lives are open to you. And so these simple little acts, it's, it's instead of just driving on your way home, giving the courtesy wave to the neighbor, opening the garage, make sure as soon as you get inside, you shut it before you turn the car up and get out. You're like, right? I know what you do. You know, and get out of the car, walk into your driveway and linger for a few minutes. Other people getting home about the same time. Connect with them. Say, what's up, Joe? Good to see you. Or maybe you're like, I don't know your name. What's your name? <laughs> And you start asking them about their lives and about their families. And you start to take a genuine interest in who they are and, and, and what, where they've been in life. And, and all of a sudden, you develop a friendship. Invite them over for a barbecue. Invite them to your home for a meal. Say, hey, say, hey man, oh, you play pickleball? Me too. Let's go play some pickleball. Right? Like find something, a common interest with these people. And I know this seems like so simple, but, but honestly, we struggle with this. We make this far more complex, vastly more complex than this really needs to be. And, and, I, and I'm not trying to oversimplify this for you and insult you in any way. I know that you know this, but what happens is I think sometimes we're educated past our level of obedience. 
and we're unwilling to obey the things we know to do. We know we're called to hospitality. We know we're called to live different. We should open our homes. We just won't do it. So my goal in saying this is not to be like, these are the things to do because you don't know what to do. I know y'all know what to do. I'm trying to remind you to do it. Open your homes. Open your lives to people. We know what to do. That there is this selfish part of us that would rather just stay put, stay inside, continue to buy the lie that, man, we're the most connected. We, man, I got tons of friends. I got friends all over social media. You know, millennials and Gen Z are the most connected and yet most isolated and lonely generations that we've ever had. And I'm not just taking shots at them. I'm in the millennial generation, all right? So I'm not taking just shots at myself, okay, or anybody else in Gen Z. And I'm not just trying to pick on those generations, too, because honestly, every one of us sitting in this room today, from boomers to Gen X to all of us, we all struggle with this. But these two generations grew up with technology very much at their fingertips. And so we have propagated and, and continued on and believed this lie that we're connected and we're in community because, man, I get likes on Instagram because I got some shares and some saves on Facebook because people on my TikTok are commenting or, or I got DMs blowing up with people sending me memes back and forth. Anyone got that friend? You just meme each other. But it's like... We buy into this idea that we are connected and we're in relationship and man, I'm just good, but we're sitting in our homes isolated and we don't know our neighbors and we're not connected to the people near us, but it's because we believe that we're really connected. Can I tell you something? It's a fraud. This is not genuine connection. If anything, it's an update. If anything, it's, it's a, a means to what should get you to authentic connection, which is face-to-face relationship. Face-to-face encounters with other people, that's where genuine and authentic friendships, relationships are formed. And so we have to realize that it is our job as believers to build relationships with others and to help them to come to know Jesus. And let me just ask this. How many of you know your neighbors, like truly know your neighbors? Anybody? Okay, we got some that say, I truly know my neighbors. How many would say, I don't know my neighbors? No shame. I just want to know. Yeah, a lot. And here's, here's the reality. Dang, y'all all started talking right there. You're like, man, you too, I thought I was the only one. Somebody behind you is like, I live next door. Right? Like, <laughs> you're like, oh, you go to Oasis? You know? But, but here's, here's the reality. Listen, God never gets the address in. You work where you work for a divine purpose and reason in this season. And I'm not just trying to rhyme. That just happened to rhyme, okay? But, but let me just say this. Past that little courtesy of knowing your neighbors, you drive by, you're like, oh, hello. My hope is that the answer to how many of you know your neighbors, soon it will be most of you. Most of you will know who your neighbors are. And again, you, you live in the neighborhood you live in for a reason. And so I would just say this. What would it look like if every believer from Oasis City Church wholeheartedly believed this message? Wholeheartedly took ownership in their neighborhood and their sphere of influence? What if we lived this radical hospitality out in our lives and we opened the door to our homes and we checked in on those around us, those in need? What if we started to be the ones that provided for our neighbors? What if when we go to the grocery store, we could text Jill next door and be like, hey, do you need anything from the store? I'm headed up to Fred Meyer and I'll be back in a little bit and... 
What, what if we started to like, offer just genuine and radical hospitality, expecting nothing in return from them? I think it would shape our city to look a lot more like Jesus. I'm going to go a hot topic for a second. What if on Halloween we didn't turn off our lights and shut our doors? What if we didn't give the devil a day? Because, you know, the devil doesn't get a day. They're all gods. What if we had a redemptive theology that said, hey, the devil doesn't get Halloween? We are going to be a people that don't turn off our lights and lock our doors and hide in our house because it's the devil's day. What if we were the most radical, generous house in the neighborhood, all the lights on, the largest candy bars, hot chocolate with to-go cups for the kids, coffee for the parents because they're tired. They don't want to walk their kids around in 32-degree weather. I don't either, but we're going to do it, right? And so what you're going to do is offer them coffee, offer them hot chocolate, be the most generous house in the neighborhood, meet them with a warm smile at the door. What if that right there gave you the opportunity to meet the neighbors? Come on, that's the one time a year where you don't even got to go to them. They come to you. They come and knock on your door. You're like, hey, welcome. God loves you. Man, I was, so what's your name? Where do you live? What house are you? Oh you're, oh, you're the blue one on the end? Oh, man, I've seen you. Oh, you guys should come over next week. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a little get-together, a little, a little party. We, we'd love for you guys to come. What if that kind reception and that generosity open the door for an invitation to them come to your home for dinner what if that invitation to dinner turned to an invitation to church what if that turned into a gospel invitation at the end of a message where they say i'm going to put my faith in jesus what if they went from a stranger to a neighbor to part of god's family because you were obedient what if that's the question i have for you today what if because that's the goal is that they would become family Part of God's family. You see, we, we all have this purpose, and, and I'm going to be just straight with you. The purpose of hospitality is to create gospel opportunity. That's it. <laughs> like, that's why Jesus is making such a big deal, turn the other cheek. This is why Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan and giving us these parables, these stories. He's trying to illustrate to us the entire purpose of hospitality is to get them in that process of stranger to neighbor to family. And what is that? It's the process of going from lost to found. It's the process of the gospel. And so I'm telling you this because I'm trying to lay down my cards to you, church. I'm not trying to lie or manipulate. I want to tell you the truth. The reason why we got cold brew coffee and a great environment in that whole desk area that my wife and all the team put together for the kids and the child dedication, the reason we have great hospitality here is not to be the coolest church in town. It's to create a gospel opportunity. So when you walk in this place, when a lost person sees the excellence and the care that we put into our environments, it's pointing towards why? Because Jesus cares for them. Because he knows them, and he loves them, and he has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And so we're hospitable to create a gospel opportunity for the lost. The purpose is to be an example of Christ. When we're hospitable, we reflect who God is. He is generous. What is hospitality? It's the generous reception of visitors, of guests, of strangers. Who is more generous to the stranger, to the far off than our heavenly father. When we are hospitable, we represent, we mirror the image of God. And this is the calling that Jesus placed in all of us to realize that our identity, friends, our identity is sons and daughters of God. 
Do you know what that means? It's a perspective shift that when we start to realize that you and I are sons and daughters of our heavenly father, all of a sudden the strangers and the neighbors near us, we begin to realize they're not random people. They are God's children too. And God has lots of lost kids across this city. And it is up to you and I, Oasis City, to go out and to find them and to bring them home. It's up to us to go out and share the good news and let them know they are not too far gone. They are not too far off. The grace of God can reach them exactly where they are. And so that's our, 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 our opportunity is to realize that if we're sons and daughters of God, then they are brothers and sisters of us. I love the New Testament language. This sibling-like language we'll see used again and again. In all of the letters, all of Paul's letters, Peter's letters, we see this language. James says, dear brothers and sisters, you'll see in Acts, our, our dearly beloved Paul, Barnabas, Silas, our brother, our sister in Christ. This language, why are they using it? Because they knew who they were. They knew they were sons and daughters of God. They knew their identity. And so we see this language again and again. And this, my friends, is so that we'd see each other as family because if we're family, we won't quit on each other. If we're family, we're going to be there for one another. When somebody falls down, we're going to pick them right back up. When they're in need, we'll take from our wallet. We'll take from our house. We'll take from our home to make sure their needs are taken care of. Why? Because they're family. That's God's son. That's God's daughter. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my friend. Jesus speaking in John 15, 15, he says this, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his master's business. No, instead I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. First Peter 2.10 says, once you had no identity as a people, but now, but now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And again, hospitality is the generous reception of guests and visitors and strangers. And again, it starts this process of from stranger to neighbor to family. But one last radical act of hospitality I want to share with you is a story of Jesus reaching out to not just a stranger, but an outcast. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprous sores disappeared and the man was healed. And, and I want to be very clear. Like I said, this is not just a stranger approaching Jesus. This is an outcast. This is someone whose society has said is not worth being in the city. Let me just give you some biblical context on lepers so you can understand this disease. According to the law of Moses, if a man had a scab or a bright spot on their skin, they had to be evaluated by a priest. If the priest happened to determine that this sore was a leprous sore, they were pronounced unclean. In fact, the leper was required to literally tear their clothes, to, to, to grow out his hair, and, and they had to cover their mouth and yell, I am unclean, when people approached them, so that people knew to stay away. 
someone's walking up and you'd have to say, I am unclean. And you'd have to yell this as they approached. This is, this is what, can, can you imagine how embarrassing this would have been? Could, could you imagine the, the shame you would have felt as people approach and you're going, I'm unclean. Don't come near me. I'll, I'll, I'm unclean. Not only did they have to do that, but they had to live alone outside of the city because anything that lepers touched would then be considered unclean and defiled. Anything. And so they had to have separation from society. That was the law. And, and so in this scripture, when this leper comes up to Jesus, like that's, that's a big time no-no, okay? Like you don't walk up to Jesus. You don't walk up to anybody, but you're not going to, especially don't walk up to Jesus. Not only was this culturally unacceptable as he walks up to this teacher, this was a violation of the law. As this leper comes to approach Jesus in his torn clothing, long and nasty, grown-out hair, covered in sores, likely oozing from infection, and he walks up to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, if you want to, you can heal me. And I love this next part in verse 41. It says, being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched the skin of the leper. And he told him, of course, I want you to be healed. So now be cleansed. Another version simply says, I am willing, be healed. And the Bible says instantly those leprous sores on his body disappeared. It's phenomenal. And his skin became smooth. But I, but I want you to hear this. Jesus did not have to touch the leper. We have plenty of scripture to back up the reality that Jesus with one word could have healed that leper. Pick up your mat. Rise up and go home. Jesus had no need to lay hands on this man for him to receive healing. The impartation of healing could come simply from a word. He is the Messiah. He is God. He could say, get up, be healed, and immediately that man would be healed. But Jesus touched the leper. Jesus touched the man who was untouchable. And listen, this is a powerful illustration of God's unconditional love for us. And it was just like wrecking me this morning as I was prepping for this message. You see, the, the law prevented lepers from being around people because whatever touched them or they touched would become defiled, dirty, unclean. And so logically, when Jesus touched the leper, this should have made Jesus like ceremonially like defiled, like unclean. Like Jesus touching him should have made Jesus defiled, but that's not what happens, is it? In fact, when Jesus reaches out and he touches this untouchable person, instead of him becoming defiled, the leper became clean. And that's what's happening here. And so what really gets me is who knows how long that this man had gone without a simple touch of a human being, without somebody putting a hand on a shoulder or a pat on the back or a hug. Well, how long had it been since he had been embraced? We, we don't really get an insight into how long this man has had leprosy. But just picture with me, this may have been years since he had any kind of touch from anybody. Since anyone had gone up to him. This man had probably been avoided, mocked, sneered, laughed at, pointed at. But what I love is Jesus didn't see what this man was. He saw whose, he saw whose he was. He didn't care about the outward appearance and the ripped clothes and the long hair and the, the oozing sores. He didn't care about his past or how much money he did or didn't have and social status. No, no, he, he wasn't bothered that this man was a stranger. 
He simply cared that this man was God's son, that he was an image bearer, that he carried the image of God, that he was a person, and Jesus deeply, deeply loves people. And so in one radical act of hospitality, one moment of just a generous reception, he reaches out and touches the leper, and the leper is healed. And friends, I share this story. I end on this story because this is a perfect picture of what the gospel does for us in our lives. Because leprosy, it's symbolic of sin. The way that this leper is covered in sores and scabs and it caused him to be separated from society is the same way that our sin is like wounds and sores on our body. It is wounds and sores on our soul, and it separates us from our Father. Sin is this barrier, this this wall that's put up between us and God. And so we see in this beautiful picture that Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, we see the same thing when God sent his son Jesus into a broken, fallen, sinful, dirty world, and he sent a perfect Savior that came and offered a way to be clean and made new. This is a picture of what God has done through the gospel. God took care of our sin permanently by sending Jesus to die on the cross, to die a death that you and I should have died. You and I deserve to pay it. Our sin, the penalty we had to pay was death. But God loved you enough that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that you didn't have to pay it. And he didn't just die on a cross, but he went to the grave. For three days he was buried there, but he rose again on the third day, victorious over death, over hell, and over sin. And he has ascended and seated at the right hand of God with all honor, power, and authority forever. And and he took us. He took us from strangers, from once not a people. And he took us to family, God's people. So I want you to see this. Stranger, neighbor, family. And here's the deal. For so many of us in this room, we're saved, we're healed, we're free, we follow Jesus. For others in the room, that's not you yet. You're like, I'm still just checking this thing out. God loves you. He desires a relationship with you. For so many outside of this church context, so many in our city, so many around us at work, so many around us in our neighborhood, they are lost and they are hurting and they're trying to get by and get through. And I'm just letting you know that they're still in bondage, they're still in pain, and there's many around us on a path that leads to death, a path that leads to eternal separation from God. And you may think that, man, like opening your home or pursuing a relationship with your neighbors, that sounds like a chore. But for many people, this is the difference between life and death. You opening your home, you opening your life and giving an opportunity for the gospel to be presented could be the difference between that person spending eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And I don't mean to just go so deep on you right now, but this is the reality. This is the world we live in. People are going to hell if we don't do something, if we don't share the gospel, if we don't live our faith. If we sit in this room and the faith that we have is only in this room and it never leaves this room, there's a lot of people. They're going to miss out on the opportunity to have a relationship with God because we were disobedient and we were selfish and we sat here and enjoyed hospitality and enjoyed a good message and great worship and and a nice little community, but we never let, let it leave this place. There are people that will go to hell because of our disobedience. It is a mandate 
It is the great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our faith is not for us. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's an invitation to give to others. To invite them into the family of God. What would it be like? I'd imagine if I told you, hey, Oasis City's doing a mission trip. We're going to Africa or we're going to, you know, go to Ireland or, you know, whatever, Mexico. And we're going to go do a mission trip and reach some lost people. You might be like, that's awesome. I want to sign up. What if I told you you could do that every single day and you don't got to go halfway around the world to do it. You just have to knock on your neighbor's door. Many of us, we'd rather get on an airplane and go where, man, I'm never going to see them again after this week. But it's difficult when you're afraid of getting rejected by your next door neighbor because you have to live by them for the rest of your life. Well, at least as long as you live there. Some of y'all be moving. Next day, you're calling your realtor saying, no, I'm out. But what if you battled past even rejection? Let's say they don't have this moment where they, all of a sudden they come to know the Lord. What if they tell you, forget you? Yeah, yeah, get out of here. Yeah, you know, I, oh, cool. I don't buy into that. Get out of here. What if you just stayed persistent? What if you stayed hospitable? What if you stayed generous? And what if the consistency and the endurance of you doing that led them to come and to know the Lord? And you didn't have to go to Mexico to do it or Ireland or Africa or anywhere else. We might do a mission trip. This is what Jesus has asked of us. And this is an example of loving without bounds. So what would it look like for us to step out of our comfort, our calling, uh, our, our, our comfort zone and into our calling? I would just say I think it'll change our city to open our hearts and our homes and to lay down our preferences and just to let the Lord use all of us and all of our lives and everything he's blessed us with and given us because it's all from him. And we say, God, use it all. It's all yours. Leverage every moment, everything you have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're in the room and you've had the privilege or we've had the privilege of hosting you this morning and you're here and maybe you came with family for the child dedication or maybe you came in off the street or saw an Instagram ad or whatever, but you're here this morning and you're not really sure why. Maybe this message for you has caused you to understand the great lengths that Jesus has gone to have a relationship with you. I'd like to speak to you for a moment. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were just like this leper in the story, while we were still dirty, still torn clothes, long hair, sore, while we were still sinful, while we were still defiled, while we were still in this place of being an outcast, Christ died for us. He he put that cross on his shoulder and carried up to Calvary and died on a cross knowing that there would be people that would reject him knowing that there would be people that spit on his face, knowing there would be people who would, who would say, no, I don't want anything to do with that, and yet he died for you anyways. Knowing all that was going to happen, he still died for you and for them. That's how much he loves you, and he knew that you were going to mess up. He knew you were going to make mistakes. He knew you were going to fall short. That's why Jesus came. Because we couldn't measure up. We couldn't do it ourselves. And so Jesus came. And so what I want to do right now is I want to give an opportunity to anybody in the room 
that would say, I don't know Jesus yet, but I wanna know him. I wanna be forgiven of my sin of my past, of my mistakes, my shortcomings. Maybe you feel like an outsider, like an outcast. You feel full of shame and full of this heaviness and this weight. And you're like, hey, I want to be set free from that. I don't want to be held down by that. I don't want to be bound by that anymore. And I want to follow Jesus. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be made right with him. What I want to tell you today is, there is a, this is a free gift. You don't have to do anything to deserve this. This is God offering to you to have a relationship with him through Jesus. And it's as simple as putting your faith in him and following him every day from this point forward. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in the room, if you'd say, that's me, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I'm filled with shame, but I don't want to be anymore. I want to be set free. I want to know the Lord. I want to have a relationship with him. If that's you and you'd say, I want to follow Jesus today. I want to put my faith in him. And I want to be forgiven of my sin and set free. If that's you, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Yeah, I see you. I see you, sir. I see you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I don't want to miss you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray a prayer together, and there's nothing special or magical about this prayer. It's simply a heart declaration saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Would you just pray this as a church? Pray all together. Let me say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn away from all that stuff. And I turn towards you. Take my life and do with it whatever you want to do from this point forward. I want to follow you and have a relationship with you. Thank you for dying for me and for rising again for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate that church? I got one more thing, and I want to challenge you this week. I want you to meet two neighbors, two neighbors, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit how to bless them. It could be something, it could be a note, could be the cookie thing, right, dropping off some cookies. It could be buying them a gift card to a nice steakhouse so they can get out and have a date night. Or maybe it's a single mom and you buy her groceries, you give her a grocery gift. I don't know what it looks like, but let me say this. Bless two people this week. Let the Holy Spirit guide you on how to go about doing that. I don't know what it looks like but the Holy Spirit will speak to you and you'll, you'll have an impression on a direction you should go, whether it's the note card under the door kind of thing after you knock, I don't know, or whether it's buying them something nice, leaving something for them, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Maybe it's just blessing them with, with something else. Be guided by the Spirit of God. But I'm gonna challenge you, knock on two neighbors' doors, meet them, get to know them, bless them somehow, and invite them over for a dinner. You can do it. I promise you. Some of you are staring at me like, I, I'm not doing that. I promise you can do it. And I promise you that the benefits that you'll see from that, the fruit you'll see from that, it'll blow your mind when you start to just see how kindness and representing who God is 
will lead people back to the Father. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. The kindness. Would you stand with me? Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone in this church right now. I pray for every leader in the room. God, for those that are timid, for those that are nervous about what I just challenged them with. God, I pray boldness in the name of Jesus. The same boldness that in the book of Acts that Peter had when he preached that first sermon. Holy Spirit, give them boldness to knock on the door. Give them boldness to invite to a barbecue. Boldness to bless. God, let them be generous and not hold back. May they not question when you speak, God. Make it be a kind of generosity that scares them. Be with them. Allow them to represent you, to reflect your image, to reflect your character. Let us all be bold in our faith. And let Oasis City Church be a church that leaves a legacy in this city and a legacy in this valley. Help us all to look more like you. Strip away the selfish parts of our being, God, the selfish parts of our heart and our soul. Make us look like you. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.